Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Two scriptures this morning as you're standing, I want to share with you. One is our passage for this series, and... Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4 says, And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord and call on His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples, the peoples there being, being nations. Make known His deeds among the nations. Make them remember that His name is exalted. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4 and then Matthew chapter 10. Verses 7 and 8, as Jesus was sending out the disciples, he commissioned them. Verses 7 and 8, as they were to go about and to share the gospel, he said, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your presence this morning. God, help us. We exercise our faith in you according to the precepts of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, for the moments that we have in your word just now and for your preparation in our heart for a time of prayer to follow. We love you and we praise you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So as we come uh, to the message this morning, the goal of preaching, what is the goal of preaching? Why do we come together uh, like this, even in myself, sometimes I wonder, God, why is this exercise necessary consistently uh, for us? Why was it so important uh, to you in terms of Jewish history to have a regular gathering of your people? Why was it so important to the apostles after your resurrection to gather consistently together under the preaching of uh, the word? And uh, I wonder about that often myself, but God and his sovereignty has ordained us uh, to be people who are regularly and consistently under the exhortation of God's word. Uh, I take that responsibility uh, seriously, and frankly, it's one of the responsibilities of pastoring that really brings me uh, a lot of a lot of joy to be able to uh, bring to you the word of uh, the Lord. And the goal of preaching is to bring the weight of the text to bear upon you and I in the context in which we live. So part of the goal is to read an ancient text or to discern and understand an ancient text and pull from the ancient text what the Lord would speak to you and I today in the context in which we live that is consistent with the message that was preached uh, to the ancients. So particularly for us as being people of the New Testament, what I preach to you today should work in the first century. 
It shouldn't be a different message from what was preached in the first century, but it should work in the first century, and it should work in Africa and in Latin America and in Asia and in other parts of the world, that the word of the Lord should be consistent in all times, all places, and all peoples. And so part of the task of preaching is discerning what did this text mean to the original hearers of the word and then pulling through those principles that are meaningful to us in the context in which we uh, currently live. And last week, we talked about prayer out of Isaiah 12 and 4, call on the name of the Lord. And prayer is a crying out uh, to the Lord. Often, prayer comes in a moment of need. It is a petition to the Lord in order to grant a request. And as we talked about last week, uh, prayer is a means in which the Lord allows us to sort of taste and see his glory because we are seeking to see a change in the natural circumstances in which we live. So we're asking God to move in such a way that the situation in which we find ourselves in has a shift or has a change or has a difference. So we pray, God, save my loved one, meaning change their heart toward you, set their affections upon you. God, heal my loved one. God, supernaturally work in such a way that my loved one's life is preserved by your supernatural grace. God, work in my heart to change my mind. Deliver me out of of these particular circumstances that I find myself in, God, work in such a way that my heart, my life, my mind is changed. So we're petitioning God for specific things, asking him to intervene in our life in a specific way. And sometimes when those times of pain and trial and difficulty are great upon us, what happens in the believer's life is it pushes us to travail in prayer or to earnestly petition and to persist in prayer because we're so eager for God to do something. And in that persistence in prayer, there are times, as we talked about last week, that there is this pulling even beyond what we're asking to uh, even beyond the immediate of what we're asking for, to understand and to see the glory of God. So sometimes that persistence in prayer that bears upon us the, the, the thing that we're seeking the Lord for, the thing that we desire the Lord to see, God bring revival. God changed entire groups of people in our day to set their affections on you. Our hearts long for revival, and that persistence in revival is what is pushing us to desire the glory of God in our midst. So sometimes the burden of your heart, what you're praying for, what you want to see transformed, what you want to see changed is a vehicle that the Lord is using to help you see in a greater measure his glory. Jesus, our example, 
And the night in which he was, the night before he was betrayed, the night before the cross, in John 17, prays about the glory of God. His request is, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And the will that he desired to be done was that he would be glorified in the cross. And so that becomes our prayer as well. God, what we want is for your glory to be known in the earth. And so the question comes then out of Matthew chapter 10, 7 and 8, with regards to prayer specifically for healing. Was this a one-time event? So in other words, is healing available for you and I today, physical healing in our body? Was this a one-time event for those that were originally sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ, or does this apply to his disciples today? Hebrews 13 and 8 affirms to us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he doesn't change. He is the same. He's not shifting around his priorities. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Later in history, uh, from the time when Jesus sent out the first, those first group of disciples in the book of Acts, which was a later historical time period in Acts chapter 4 and verse 30, the prayer of the early apostles was, was part of the prayer was, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So the early disciples, the early apostles actually prayed after Jesus had ascended into heaven, after there was the mighty work of uh, the Lord on the day of Pentecost. After that time, they actually prayed or had an expectation that God would stretch out his hand performing signs and wonders, and one of the signs and wonders that they requested him to do was the sign and wonder of healing that would be performed through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there was an expectation in history, of, in the early history of the church of healing. Later, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 and 24, he says of the Lord Jesus Christ, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By the wounds which he took upon his back, the scripture says in 1 Peter 2 and 24, we have been healed. James writes to us in verses 14, 15, and 16 of chapter 5, he says, is anyone among you sick. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we see both in Peter and in James, there was an expectation or an understanding that there was 
physical healing still available for the disciples of the Lord as a sign or testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12 and 9, I won't read the entire passage there, but you can go back to it and see it. But Paul affirms to us that there is actually a gift of healing that operates within the body of Christ. I would not expect there to be a gift of healing that operates unless there was actual healing that took place. Nothing like saying, I have a gift of healing and no one ever getting healed. we go back even in the Old Testament, in the, book of, in the uh, book of Psalms, Psalms 41 and 3 says, the Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. In Psalm 103, 2 through 4, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Psalm 107 and 20 says, He sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. I could have probably had pages and pages more of Scripture that speak to the healing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that speak to the healing power and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are only a few of them to affirm to you that our God is a healing God. And as we pray, we ought to expect for God's healing grace to flow. I heard this morning, if you were here during the prayer time, our brother Mike testified of God's miraculous healing of his back, which he struggled with for well over a year or more. And God miraculously healed his back. Amen. Amen. You've heard me share before of a miraculous healing, which I saw where I visited a hospital of a woman who had a, had a child and it essentially was her body was bleeding out. And there wasn't enough blood products in the hospital to keep her alive. And I stood beside the gurney with her husband, with her face and ashen gray to tell him, say what you need to say now because you may not have another chance. And God, in his mighty grace and sovereignty, healed that woman, if I've ever seen it before in my life. And she survived, and she came home from the hospital later on and took care of her children. I know others of you have seen God's healing grace at work, and we can testify of it. It's interesting that at times I believe God grants us perseverance in our quest for healing. The Apostle Paul, in Galatians 4 and 12, speaking to the Galatian church, he says, I beg of you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And you not, did not despise that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, nor express contempt, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. 
Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I testify about you that if possible, you would have torn out your own eyes and given to me. What we seem to understand from Galatians chapter 4 is that the Apostle Paul had some sort of bodily illness. We believe that it related to his eyes simply because of what he shared at the end of what I just read, that he said, Galatian church, I know you have compassion on me because if you could have, I believe you would have taken your own eyes and given given them to me. People who understand disease and other things said that it's very probably evident that in the first century, the Apostle Paul probably did have a disease of the eyes, a oozing and other things, which would have been somewhat contemptible to look at. It wouldn't have been pretty if he were in the pulpit today without medical treatment that his eyes would have been oozing. And yet Paul says of the Galatians, you received me even despite the condition in which I stood before you in. Paul prayed, we believe, about that condition in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. He says, because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Many people believe that what the Apostle Paul was interceding and requesting of the Lord was actually healing for his eyes. That in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that the Apostle Paul was interceding and asking and speaking about asking the Lord for healing of what was going on in his eyes that the Galatian church saw. And he said, God spoke to me and said, my grace is sufficient for you to endure this particular trial. We have the healing of, we'll speak about that here in just a moment. We have the healing of the demoniac, and Decapolis. The healing of the demoniac was for the purpose of evangelization. Recall that Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee specifically to encounter the guy who was possessed by the demon, cast the demon out. The guy was healed and in his right mind. The guy wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus says, go back and tell your own people what good things the Lord has done for you. We find out later that when Jesus goes back to that region, that the evangelization, we believe, of the demoniac had already begun to take root. And all the way historically in AD 69, when Jerusalem came under attack, the Decapolis region was the place where the Christians fled because of the persecution of Rome uh, at Jerusalem. So there was a move by the demoniac who had been healed by the Lord in order to go forth and tell what great things the Lord had done. Finally, one other story with regards to healing. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. Twelve years of persisting. It shouldn't be lost on us that the woman with the issue of blood persisted for twelve years. 
It was a condition that by what the scripture tells us was growing worse. She would have been ostracized. So if we were in first century today and this was a synagogue or you were in the temple, she would not be allowed in. Not even into the court of women, she would have not been allowed to be under the teaching, preaching of the word. She would have not been allowed to be in any context. In Jewish history and tradition, remember, she would not have been able to hug anyone. She would not have been able to touch anyone or else they would be ritually unclean as she was ritually unclean. And they would have had to go through a purification process in order to become clean. And so she was required to not touch anyone at all. Think about it. Twelve long years. So when she hears about Jesus and wonders about Jesus, she makes a technical commitment. She says, if I can but touch the hem of his garment. Now, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and for all accounts probably had a garment that would have had tassels on the garment. Similar, this is a prayer shawl. And so it would be similar to this type of prayer shawl. These were very important because Jewish leaders, Jewish men, wore these in obedience to the command of the Lord in Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 39. God gave Moses a command to say, on your garments, I want you to put tassels, and on those tassels, I want you to put a violet thread. And when you look upon the tassels, it is to remind you of the commandments of the Lord. So a Jewish man cannot hide the tassels. And so if you were to go into a Jewish place of worship today, what you would see most likely among many of the men are tassels outside of their garments that are hanging from their garments, particularly even if they were to put on a prayer shawl uh, such as this and wear the prayer shawl, you would see the tassels hanging and it stems all the way back many thousands of years ago out of numbers that says you're to have a tassel on your garment with a thread of violet in order to remind you of the commands of the Lord. The woman with the issue of blood, she comes to understand about the Lord Jesus Christ. She has faith because Jesus speaks to her later. Her faith has made her whole. So there's some sort of faith that's happening. What's interesting in this particular circumstance with the Lord is that it's one of the very few circumstances in Scripture where we get, obviously, Jesus is God. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus knows everything. But in his humanness, somehow, he is, doesn't know what's going on here. So the reader of Scripture is actually given more information than what Jesus technically has in the moment, realizing he's 100% God and 100% man. So Jesus is walking by the way. The woman doesn't come to him and say, please heal me, because remember, she cannot be in the presence of this people who the Scripture says are pressing in so hard upon the Lord that they're actually beginning to crush him. And her thought is, in some way, I don't want to touch him because I don't want to make him unclean if I can but touch the hem of his garments. And people who study this passage says this is exactly what she was going for. It wasn't simply the, the hem proper. If I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. 
So somehow, stealthily through the crowd, now remember, the Scripture says that people were pressing against Jesus in such a way that they were almost crushing him. If I were to ask one of our brethren to stand and to say, if, if you're, in, you're in the place of Jesus, and the rest of us were to act out that scene of pressing against that person to the point of maybe crushing them, how many of us in here who were pressing against a person who would be in the place of the Lord would say, I need physical healing too? The point being that the crowd pressing and crushing in on Jesus, many of those were probably sick. Many of those probably had their own ailments. Many of those have probably had their own challenges, and here they are actually pushing up and touching the Lord's body. But there was someone who was willing to break through the crowd, and somehow, some way, faith was activated by the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe, in this woman who for 12 years had persisted in prayer and said, but I touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And somehow, through the actualization of her faith, with an encounter with the glory of God, See, the glory of God was passing through. The glory of God was moving through the street in Jerusalem that day. And the woman with faith somehow encountered and touched the hem of the embodiment of the glory of God. An actualization of faith that then also encounters the visible or the present felt seen manifestation of God. So brother, what are you saying? What I am saying is, I believe that it is God's plan to heal. I believe it is God's purpose to heal. Can I give you a five-step formula and how to get healed? I can't do that for you. I can't do that for you. But what I can say to you is if you will persist and continue to actualize faith, that I believe there is times when you will encounter the glory of God and the moment of faith intersects the glory of God and something miraculous happens. Now, do I believe that happens? To actually heal someone here in the present? Yes, I do. Because I read it in Scripture. Yes, I do believe that there is somehow an actualization of faith that encounters the glory of God at the place of the cross, that encounters the glory of God, and people's lives are healed by the grace of the Lord. There are some times when we have to persist in that. 
The woman had to persist for 12 years. Persist, persist. The condition got worse. Natural circumstances said it's not going to happen. Natural circumstances said you are not going to be healed. Natural circumstances said God's doing nothing. He's not doing anything. He's not directing you to the right doctors. He's not directing you to the right people. He's not directing you to the right religious leaders. Your situation's getting worse. Just stop. That's what the enemy wants you to do. As I was here in the sanctuary this week uh, praying, someone came and they said, I need to share with you something. I need to share with you something that I believe the Lord is speaking to me. Can I come and meet you at the church? And I said, yes, that is fine. I will be here uh, for a while. And they came and they began to share with me. And they said, you know, it's interesting that God deals in opposites often. The enemy comes to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. She said, so at times when I feel like the enemy is coming and he's stealing my finances, God moves on me to give even more because I'm going to do the opposite of what the enemy is doing. If the enemy is stealing from me, I'm going to step in and I'm going to give more to the kingdom. No, I'm not a health, wealth, prosperity preacher. I hope you know that by now, but I do think there are some kingdom principles. That when my body is sick, when there are things that I'm challenged in, I'm going to do the opposite of what the enemy is trying to do when he's trying to steal my health, when he's trying to come against me and and the, the, the sin that happened way back in the garden and the curse of sin and the sickness that came by the way of Satan is coming against me. I'm going to rejoice in the healing that I am going to experience. I'm going to do the opposite of what the world and what the enemy and what everyone else says that I should do. Jesus, interestingly enough, with the woman with the issue of blood, did not technically approve the healing beforehand. When she touched the tassel, he says, who touched me? Remember, people crushing in about him. Peter, we should like Peter, because Peter's like us a lot of the times. You know, the, the, the old uh, uh, different strokes, the old show, you know, what you talking about, Willis? I can imagine Peter, what you talking about, Jesus? All these people crushing in about you, pushing in about you. What are you talking about? Jesus saying, I felt power go out of me. The woman trembling, but knowing that her persistent prayer had encountered the glory of God, knew that it was her and no other who had been healed by the power that had come out of the Lord. It was no doubt in her mind. She knew within herself that she had been touched by the glory of God. One final illustration out of Scripture. In the book of Acts, we have Stephen. Stephen, the Bible says, was full of grace and wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit of God rested upon Stephen. 
And when you read through the book of Acts, the recording of his sermon is one of the longest that we have in Scripture. He begins in time past before, and he begins to rehearse for those who would listen the power of God working through the ages, pushing, pushing, pushing towards the Messiah, pushing towards the first advent of Christ. And he begins to tell the story of how throughout the ages God has been a God who has pursued his people. And he begins to be, then to accuse those religious leaders and to tell them that they were a stiff-necked generation, and no one likes to be called stiff-necked. No one likes to find the finger pointing at them. And the Bible says that they began to gnash their teeth at him. They began to get upset at him, and they rushed him out, and they began to stone him. So stoning in that day was essentially throwing off a cliff and finding the biggest rocks that you could to drop on the person from above the cliff. It wasn't a quick death, but it was a painful death. And Stephen, as he is being stoned, he does something that is very supernatural. Remember, the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord was already upon him. Wisdom and understanding was already part of who Stephen was. This is one of the reasons why he was chosen to be one of the first deacons. Stephen, being stoned, cast off a cliff, stones coming from above. The word of the Lord says that he sees the glory of heaven open up. While he is in the midst of his persecution, while his body is about to be expired, while his bones are being broken, while his life's blood is being spilled, God gives him a glory or a glimpse of heavenly glory. Once again, who's in the middle? The Lord Jesus Christ. He sees the throne room of heaven opened up, and he sees the glory of God or the Lord Jesus Christ. As you know, the one place in Scripture where Jesus Christ is found standing at the right hand of the Father, every place else he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Every place else we see him pictured seated at the right hand of God. Here at this moment, at Stephen's martyrdom, Stephen's eyes are open, and as it were, the skies are parted back, and he looks up into heavenly glory, and something takes place in his heart, something supernatural. Where had it been Robert McCready in that moment? I would say, God, get him. God, do something about my persecutors. God, help me to be raised up in this moment where they at least see that I'm a righteous man. Help me, God. Help me, God. Stephen, getting a glimpse of the glory of God, something supernatural happens, and he says, don't hold this sin against them. Echoes the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. Don't hold this sin against them. You see, there are moments when we're in the throes of an immediate need and we're persisting and we're interceding and we're asking God for his mighty hand to be at work and what we may 
naturally pray for when we get a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. It shifts it completely. And what I believe, even in what seemed like physical pain, it didn't even matter anymore to Stephen because his heart, his affections, he was given sight to what his hope had been. He was seeing what he had hoped for, what the Spirit was already speaking within him. He was seeing the glory of God and the stones and the bleeding and the crushing and everything else that was going on with the persecution no longer mattered anymore, but what mattered was being in Jesus' presence. Paul, in the condition that he had sought the Lord after, when the Lord said, hey, I'm giving you grace, Paul, to persist throughout this for my glory. The apostle Paul said, I don't have to seek you anymore. I will persist for your glory. I don't have to, I asked three times. And I think, you only asked three times? How many times do I ask for stuff? How many times do I ask? And Paul said, I persisted three times. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. The woman with the issue of blood, persisting consistently in prayer and reaching out in the moment where her path crossed with the glory of God and receiving the grace of healing in her body in that moment. So if you were to ask me this morning, what are you trying to say? As I come to the pulpit week after week, one of the things I try to think is, what is the one thing I would like you to walk away with? What is the one thing that I think God would have us as a congregation to know? And I can't say I have clarity on that this morning. Other than to speak to you and to say, I believe that God is calling us to intercede for healing. What the result of that healing may be, God may speak to your heart in that clear voice and saying, I'm giving you grace every day to persist for my glory. I want your healing. I want it. But there are times when God says, I'm giving you grace for today. Live in that grace. Many years ago, my wife's aunt passed away. She was a godly woman who loved the Lord. Um, for all of you health food people, she was healthy. Uh, nothing that she thought was unhealthy went in her body. And she got cancer. If anybody shouldn't have got cancer based on eating, she should not have. But she had cancer. They persisted in prayer for her. They sought the Lord on her behalf, church, family. They also did other things going to places that do natural type treatments in order to help, in order to move it, did all of these things. And she still passed away. And as a young pastor, it made me have to think. So 
I have to say either we, somebody didn't have enough faith. Is that the response? Did somebody not have enough faith to believe? Did she not have enough faith? Did those of us who were praying not have enough faith? And I had to begin to reckon with what it meant to intercede for someone earnestly and then to not see the result of what we're praying and asking God for while simultaneously reading in Scripture about the consistency of Jesus' healing work. Because as I've said before to you, we want to be a people who believe the work of God. We should just hang it up if we're not going to believe what this book says. But I believe what happened in that moment is that there were people who were praying and interceding. And then in that that moment of her passing into heavenly glory to our sorrow, but it was a moment where faith intersected the glory of God. Her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ met the reality of the Lord in glory. In God's sovereignty, for whatever reason, he chose not to grant the physical healing in this life, but the physical healing in the life that is to come. Now, what does that mean when I pray for someone for healing? This is what, how I have to approach that as a pastor. With everything that is within me, I want to pray for your healing in the here and now. I want to pray that God manifests his glory, that your faith intersects with his glory in this life, and there is a miraculous, complete, and total healing in this life, that you don't have to walk through the challenges of the body, and that you testify of his goodness and of his grace here in the now. But sometimes I think maybe it is like the Apostle Paul who healed others, and God says, I am calling you to persist. Sometimes you're like the woman with the issue of blood and that he's calling you to persist in prayer that at the moment when it seems like it can't get any worse, at the moment when it seems like that bad has gotten badder and worse has gotten worser. I know that's not correct grammar. But somehow unexpectedly the glory of God passed by and your faith intersects with the glory of God. Sometimes it's that instantaneous moment, like Stephen, where you're doing the work of the Lord and there is a burden that comes upon you and somehow, some way, God grants you a glimpse of his heavenly glory and you don't even want to ask for healing anymore because you've seen his glory and what you want to be able to do is to step into his presence. I'll make it one step further personal, and then we'll call to pray. <clears throat> when my mother passed away, my family and I were traveling back from a vacation. Uh, we had, I don't, I think that was the first, like we hadn't taken a vacation much prior to that. We hadn't been able to get away, and this was the first time in several years we had been able to get away. On the day that we're returning, I get a call. I knew my mother was having surgery for her back. And I get a call. Uh, 
about noon that she had come through surgery and everything was great. And we're heading back into town. We're heading closer and closer to town. And my brother calls later in the afternoon. And he says, they just called me and said mom had had a heart attack. He said, but don't worry. I talked to the nurse. And the nurse says, it's a very mild heart attack. Uh, she's going to be fine. Uh, she's at Mercy Hospital in Baltimore, one of the best. But they're not as equipped for heart attack. We're transferring her right across the street to University of Maryland Hospital. And they will take care of her. They're equipped and able. And we continue to travel down the road. We get to the house. I tell Nicole I'm going to hop in the car and head on to Baltimore. And I begin to pack my bags. I get in the car. I'm on Stony Point Road, maybe a mile and a half from my house. And my dad calls, and he says, they called, and they asked, do they want us to take extraordinary measures? to save your mother. And I said, what? And the doctor calls him back while he's on the phone with me. He gets off the phone, and he calls me back, and he said, they could not save her. So my mother was 68 years old at the time. We had no expectation that she would pass in that way. As the word begins to go out, Sister Darlene, I remember your text to me that night. I'm praying that God will raise your mother up. That's what I believe we have to do as a people. Exert faith in the midst of dire circumstances that lives in the reality of this world, but also is willing to say in the face of the world's reality, that I'm willing to exert whatever faith I can muster, however it needs to be mustered. I don't need to say certain words at the right moment. I don't need to try. What I need right now is a glimpse of the glory of Jesus to help me to persevere, to see something happen, God, that I desire to happen. And what God had to say in days and moments to come to this life, to this person is, I'm going to give you grace to persevere, to understand that I have to work in ways which you will not fully know. And there will be a day, and I can tell you this, when Scripture affirms that I will see my mother again because she was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that she is in heavenly glory, like I believe that Aunt Eunice is in heavenly glory. And I can tell you that those two ladies who are rejoicing before the throne room today would not want to be back here for any reason. If we said, we'll get you the ticket. If we said, God's willing to grant it, I think they would say, no way.